Amen. If you don't have a worship guide or a Bible, Amy is coming around and just raise a hand. Uh, Kara's got some here. Also, if you don't have a Bible and would like one, this is our gift to you. We'll be in John chapter 11 in just a moment. But before I get going, kiddos, can you see me? Can you, can you help me? Could you stand up and do something for me? I need you to stretch out to the side because we're not used to meeting in the morning, are we? I need you to stretch down low, but don't rip your Easter pants, guys. Ugh. Stretch way up high to the sky. Now, I need your help. I'm going to say he is risen, and you're going to say he is risen indeed. Can y'all help me? Are you sure? Here we go. Ready? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's try again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Kiddos, I know you got a little more in you. Caden, I see you, my dude. Let's do this. Ready? He is risen. He is risen indeed. I love it. I love it. So kids, you can stay standing because I want to tell you about a special Easter tradition. Okay? In my family, because my grandpa, y'all know Grandpa Wood, he was a Dallas ISD PE coach for many, many years. So for many, many years, he would organize the Wood family every Easter for the Easter Egg Olympics. That would be the Olympics with Easter eggs. And my favorite event was the egg toss. Kiddos, you know what I'm talking about, an egg toss? Now, these are not these fun, colorful eggs that we're going to be hunting later. These are hard-boiled eggs. You guys know what a hard-boiled egg is? Yeah? Well, it's especially fun some years when they're not that hard-boiled. I'm looking at my dad here. But what we would do is take real eggs. Guys, can you imagine? Real eggs, kind of like these. We would take real eggs and we would divide up into pairs. Everybody would draw a number, and then one person would go on that side, one person would go on that side. And you know what we do with the egg toss? Woo! We toss them. But hopefully not like Emma and Nora just did, because you don't want to baseball toss these, do you? No. So what we would do is each team would take turns in our Easter Egg Olympics, and the first person would toss it. And the next person would hopefully, what? Catch it. But remember... These are real eggs. So sometimes when Aunt so-and-so is wearing her wedding ring and her jangly jewelry, what do you think happens to these eggs? Ooh, they break. If you drop it, you're out. But it's better than to be out than to catch a broken egg. Because then you got to get the yolk. And my brother and I and some of my cousins, if we can catch something, we're still in the game. Whether it's that mushy white stuff or that yellow stuff. Would you catch a broken egg and keep in the game? No? Well, you don't have what it takes for the Easter Egg Olympics. And that's why I win so many years. Hush your mouth, daughter. You've borne witness to the greatness of your daddy in the Easter Egg Olympics. But here's the bummer. We didn't get to do the Easter Egg Olympics last year, and we kind of don't get to do it that much this year. So I thought maybe one of you, okay. He didn't even know what I'm asking, but Lucas, you're my main man. Will you be my 
helper? Okay, here's what, you stand, you stand right there, and, and here's the deal, man. The thing that you need to know about the Easter Egg Olympics and the egg toss is that you really got to trust your partner. You know what I'm saying? Because some people that will remain nameless like to toss them like this. And it's not fast pitch, it's the egg toss. And the other thing is you really got to trust that the person who prepared the eggs really got them hard boiled. You know what I mean? By the way, Amy, we had two of these egg cartons in the fridge. One was for breakfast. One was for my thing, right? That was hard boiled? Did, did you? Oh, do you trust that? Uh-huh. So let's pretend that these might be, hopefully, maybe hard boiled. You still want to be my helper? Okay. So you're trusting me is what you're saying. Okay. Because I am a pastor and I'm really not supposed to lie. That's, that's a big problem if a pastor is lying all the time. Okay. So you really trust me. But, but, but just in case, because I'm not sure I can trust you know who over there. Because I got to preach for the next few minutes. Just in case, I don't want any yoke on my hands and my notes and stuff. My bop. You still good with this? Okay, because I actually don't have any kid-sized gloves, so... Okay, we're doing this. You want to be my Easter egg toss? You trust me? Okay. You trust me? All right. You ready? Okay, it's a little windy. Now, if there's yoke on his pants and Easter... Okay. They trust me. You trust me. You ready? Here we go. Oh! But did it break? But they weren't raw eggs, were they? No. Dude. They're nothing. Give my man a hand. Give his parents a hand. They don't have to do laundry before Easter lunch. Thanks, my dude. Did you see that trust? Y'all remember this, and if you're looking for a church home, know that your pastor is trustworthy. I love this passage we're going to be looking at because it all centers on, do you trust him or not? Do you trust him even in a hard, difficult situation. So in John chapter 11, which is where we're going to be looking for the next few moments, it all orbits around, is Jesus trustworthy? Because it's not just a broken egg or messy Easter clothes or a yoke at stake. It's a broken hope and dream because the one who said, I am the resurrection and life, let someone he loved die. So earlier we read John chapter 20, which is when Jesus leaves a tomb empty. But we're going to go back in the story to John chapter 11 that points to that day when Jesus is going to raise his beloved friend Lazarus. But before all of that incredible miracle, it orbits around the question, can we really trust Jesus? So, as the funeral is winding down, this man Lazarus has been dead and in a tomb. These two sisters, their names are Mary and Martha. Kiddos, can you say Mary and Martha? Mary. 
they're going to run up to Jesus and say, basically, we trusted you, but our brother died. As the funeral winds down, they have a choice, just like Lucas did. Do we trust you? Can we still trust you? And grown-ups and everyone, these are the big questions for us this Easter. Can we trust Jesus even in waiting, even in weeping, and even in death? This is the question we have this Easter. I'll put it another way. Is faith stronger than a funeral? That's the question looming over John chapter 11. Is resurrection stronger than death? Can we trust it? How about this? Is the light of Easter stronger than the darkness of our world this last year? Is the light of resurrection stronger than even our current situation? Those are the questions orbiting around John chapter 11. So before we get to John 20 and Easter, let's go back in the story to John chapter 11. If you grabbed one of those Bibles that we had, I believe it's on page 505. I'm going to read just a portion of our story because in it, Jesus gives us a big statement. Kids, can you all say a big statement? This is on your kids' sermon guide, so pay attention for that one. And that leads to our big question about trusting Jesus. All right, with all that being said, let's look at John chapter 11, and let's talk for a few more moments about whether or not we can really trust Jesus. Y'all cool? I mean, actually, y'all are probably physically cool. It's got a nice Easter chill in the air. But beyond that, let's dive into John chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 17 and just read a few verses. On his arrival, way late... Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, so many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. This is like a funeral wake happening all week. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, Okay, I know. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah. That's a special word for you are the king, the anointed chosen one, the son of God who is to come into the world. In our church, we say this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Can we trust Jesus in waiting? Raise your hand if you love to wait. Oh, it's been so fun in those lines at Fair Park for my shot. It's so fun when I walk up to the pharmacy and like there's no technician. And it's cool. I love to wait. No one likes waiting. But this is some crazy kind of waiting. Imagine your beloved family member, in this case, a man named Lazarus, who's a dear friend of Jesus and the brother of Martha and Mary. He gets sick 
He starts to come down with a fever. We don't know what's going on, but you know, he's just not doing well. Now, Martha is the kind of lady that gets things done. Y'all know women like this that just are going to make things happen. So she's probably making sure that Lazarus is laying down. She's got a cool rag on his head. She's doing whatever remedies they have available to her. She's making sure he keeps fluids down. But here's the deal. You get that sick feeling when the person who's sick is too sick. You know what I mean? Y'all have been to that moment where you're like, oh yeah, it's hospital time, right? So what she does, because there's no emergency room in Bethany 2,000 years ago, she says, okay, let's go get our friend Jesus. He's staying on the other side of the river. And she gets a messenger and says, look, you don't have to do a whole like pleading and begging. We're cool, us and Jesus. He loves Lazarus. All you got to tell him is, hey, Jesus, the one you love is sick. That ought to do it. No problem. Matter of fact, if you've been reading John's gospel, if you've been following along with us in our church, you would have remembered that these seven miracles, this is the seventh, the second one, a guy walked 20 miles, came to Jesus, he begged, he pleaded, and he said, help, my son is back home, he's sick, do something. And Jesus, y'all get this, y'all remember what happened? Did Jesus walk 20 miles back and do some magic, whatever, and fix him? No, Jesus just said, he's good. God's got this. He long-ranged healed him. So Martha's probably thinking, dude, Jesus is just like a few miles over. I know there's some heat on him and they want to arrest him. So maybe he doesn't even want to come, but he's got this. He's got this. I can wait. This is how the story begins in John chapter 11. So, Martha goes back to the bedside, she's checking on Lazarus, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait. Does Lazarus get better? Shake your head, no. Lazarus gets worse, and Lazarus dies. Somewhere in the meantime, the messenger had come back, and she says, hello, what's going on? And the messenger says, don't worry. This sickness will not end in death. That's what Jesus said. God's glory is going to be revealed. Imagine those words ringing in her ears at the bedside of her beloved brother as he breathes his last. Here's the problem. We've been there. The waiting turns to wondering is God really trustworthy when God doesn't do what you wanted Him, expected Him to do? Haven't we been there? We ask, we wait, and we start to wonder. I wish I could tell you that God is the vending machine, that you just punch the right combination and everything you ever wanted will happen all the time and forever, but that's simply not the case. We live in a world that is far more mysterious than we can ever truly understand. But here's why I need you to hear why we can trust Jesus in the waiting. Here's why. Here's my big idea for this question. While we're waiting, God is working, even when we don't see it. Don Phillips is here. A few, uh, man, it may have been a year ago. It was when we were meeting face to face. Y'all remember those days inside? Isn't it nice? 
And he was having his own problems with vision. And he said, I feel like sometimes walking with God in all of this kind of mystery, when he's not doing exactly what we're wanting, you got to grow some spiritual peripheral vision. You know what spiritual peripheral vision is? I want you to imagine that you're walking in a path on, in a forest and you're putting one foot in front of the other and you're walking and you're walking and you're just hoping and trusting that the next step or the next step or the next step will get better and better. And you're looking around saying, I thought for sure that Jesus would be here by now. I thought for sure that Jesus would be walking with me by now. And what he means by spiritual peripheral vision is sometimes this kind of waiting and fear and the world around us narrows our vision too much that we can't see that Jesus is actually moving and at work, even though he's beyond our peripheral vision. Even Jesus could be walking in the trees next to us. It's like when they went to the empty tomb in John chapter 20 and they say, he's not here, but he's actually gone ahead of you. What would it look like in the waiting to say, I may not see him now, but Easter can remind me that the risen Christ has gone ahead of you. He's gone ahead of you into this week, that appointment, that thing you don't want to do. The risen Christ is there. He's gone into that family situation that is too big for you. The risen Christ has gone ahead of you. So maybe that kind of spiritual peripheral vision that even when we're waiting, can we trust that God is still working because the risen Christ has gone ahead of you. So therefore, every step is actually an arrival to the unfolding and the unveiling of the one who is making all things new, even if it's not on our timetable. The problem is, is that Martha and Mary called 911, but what happens when 911 shows up a week late, Robert, who's a captain of the fire department? Waiting leads to wondering, but we can trust that God is still working even when we're not seeing. We're living right now in between that first Easter Sunday when God put the world on notice that death does not have the last word. And yet, every single person here has experienced the loss of death in their life. Theologians call this the already, the reality that the world is different now that Jesus has been raised. They call it the already and not yet. We are in this waiting moment between the world that was changed on Easter, but Jesus still will come and finish the job. We got to work that space of waiting, trusting that he really will make all things new. So Lazarus dies. They bury him. Funerals then weren't just an afternoon and some buffet potatoes and ants flying in from all over. They were a week-long affair. People came to mourn with you. Everybody was invading your space. And I got to believe that Martha and Mary, they were hearing these words of consolation, but the whole time they are stewing and steaming because if only Jesus had been here. He's raised other people from the dead. Why not his friend Lazarus? That begs the question, can we trust Jesus in the weeping? Can we trust Jesus in weeping? 
So 911 shows up a week late. Jesus is kicking it out by the tomb. They're all eating the, uh, the hash brown casserole with peas and tuna in it at the funeral. And somebody comes and says, Martha, Jesus is at the tomb. And she goes, about time. Plus, this hash brown casserole stinks. I'm going to go give him a piece of my mind. And she marches out to the tomb, and she sees Jesus. She wants to talk to Jesus. And you know what she says? Did you hear what she says? I just said it a moment ago. She said what? If you had been here. Show of hands, if you've had your own conversation with God that said, if you, right? If you would have just given me that, healed that, helped that, God, if only. Those if only sting, right? But it's part of this waiting that leads to weeping. If you've been an if-only kind of person, let me tell you two things. The first is that you have a biblical precedent to hash it out. Martha runs up to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't say, Be silent. My ways are not your ways. That may be true, but we have a biblical precedent. It's called the book of Psalms. It's called the book of Job. It's called Jesus and Martha looking at her and letting her get it out. God understands that we don't understand. You have a biblical precedent to shout it. Jesus doesn't shut her down. He listens. He's present. He looks her in the eye. I think one of the reasons that Martha and Mary and Mary Magdalene and all the Marys that are in the Easter stories loved Jesus so much was because Jesus, unlike so many men of his day and our day, was completely, fully present, treating them as valuable, treating them as Worthy. I think she had understood that you can shout it out. He knows and understands that we don't know or understand. The second thing I need to tell you is that you have permission to feel it. Because Martha is right, isn't she? If Jesus had actually jogged or at least give me a brisk walk across the river, my dude, he could have done something about it. She's kind of right. So later, uh, Mary, her sister, shows up. Mary shows up, and you know what she says to Jesus? It's later in the text in John 11. She says, guess what? If you had been here. They must have been talking about it during the funeral. If Jesus had been here, if Jesus had been here, and you know what happened? They're wailing, they're sobbing, the mourners are there, and I told you that you have a biblical precedent to shout it out. I also told you you have permission to feel it. How do I know this? Watch. Do you know what the shortest verse in the Bible is? The verses aren't like holy. They were, they were added later by some monks who put this thing together. But the shortest verse in the Bible is in the chapter. I didn't read it, but it's here. Do you know what it is? Sunday school trivia people? Jesus wept. You know why I know you have permission to feel it? You know why I know that you should never go to a church that says, cheer up, he's in a better place, get on with your life, cheer up, it'll get better, pray harder, cheer up, do this, is because Jesus sits with us in it. We have a precedent of a Savior who weeps. He's been praying, he knows what he's going to do, and he goes to the tomb, he hears his two friends, desperate, he mirrors back their grief, and Jesus weeps moments before he's going to raise his friend. 
Explain that to me the next time somebody well-meaning comes up to you and says, just try harder. Just read your Bible. Jesus, the one who is going to raise his friend, weeps at the dead man's tomb. If this doesn't tell you that God was so willing to undo suffering and death through suffering and death, that's the only way we can make sense of the cross. That's the only way we can make sense of the darkness of the world is because we have a God that was willing to enter in and experience it himself. Any Christian faith that cannot wrestle and reckon with the fact that God allowed himself to hurt, God allowed himself to be murdered, and still recycled it with forgiveness and reconciliation is not a faith worth having. Our God was a man of sorrows, acquainted with suffering, acquainted with grief. Jesus, the Son of God, who was raised and will raise Lazarus, wept at a tomb. So you can too. Can we trust Jesus in weeping? Yes. Because Jesus experienced suffering and death so that one day he might look us in the eyes to wipe away all tears and renew all things. We just got to wait a little longer. But Easter is the down payment of new creation and one day he will return and finish what he started. But until then, we trust him. We trust him that even if he finds us weeping at our own tombs, we can look to the empty tomb and say, but one day, me too, him too, her too. One day, it may not make sense right now, but we trust because Easter was the down payment. Lazarus was the signpost. Jesus in the empty tomb shows us one day, us too. Now, finally, Can we trust him in death? Here's the conversation at the tomb. After the if only. After or actually before the crying. Here's how the conversation goes. I want you to really pay attention. Because I'm going to tell you what Martha hears. But I'm going to tell you what Jesus actually says. Here's how it goes. Martha hears, cheer up. He'll be raised one day. Did y'all catch that in our reading earlier? Hey, cheer up. Your brother will rise again. Here's what Martha hears. Uh, He's in a better place. Right? That's our version of it, right? He's in a better place. One day, you know, he's alive and God will actually raise him. That's the hope of Easter. So then what Martha says to that effect is, I know, I know. Ezekiel, dry bones, the hope of our Jewish people. One day God's going to raise the faithful in bodily form at the end of time. I get it. Thanks. But this stinks and I'm still mad at you, Jesus. That's what she hears. But what Jesus actually says is, no, no, no. This is not some Sunday school funeral platitude. I am the resurrection and the life. Yes, one day. Yes, one day. But right now, I am the resurrection and the life. I need you to understand this, that the Christian hope is that when we die, we, I believe, enter into the presence of God who is love, who is the source of all life in some mysterious way that most Christians talk about as heaven. But the Christian faith, the Christian hope, as evidenced in 1 Corinthians 15, mark that down. 2 Corinthians 5, mark that down. Uh, in 1 John 3, mark that down. 
we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. We don't just believe in life after death, that when you die, your grandmother and friend and whoever is in the presence with God. There's life after death, yes, but Christian hope, Easter hope, Jesus was raised bodily so that we might also experience, get this, life after life after death. Do you know that Christians teach and historically believe that God is not going to waste your body? It's not just going to be worm food forever. We have gotten this a little bit backwards. Americans believe that Christians teach you go to heaven, and that's that. You sit on a cloud, and that's that. Jesus was raised in bodily form. This is explicitly taught in the Gospels. We believe in life after death, but Easter shows us that there's also life after life after death. Is this crazy or what? But this is the mystery of our faith. Jesus was the pioneer And so, yes, Martha's right. Yes, Jesus is right. At the last day, we'll be raised and we'll be joined body and soul to live like Jesus, with Jesus, in the new heavens and the new earth forever. Is that a lot? But I got to do it because it's Easter. And this is the hope. This is what you all have signed up for. It's not just we go into the arms of love in soul. One day, He's going to raise us, body and soul, in a body that looks like Jesus. This is the Easter hope. And it's worth remembering and reminding us. If it sounds crazy, it's on so many pages of the New Testament. And they say, guess what? We know it's crazy. But we're crazy enough to believe that death doesn't have the last word. And listen, he won't waste any tear, any moment, any body. For those that are in Christ, what's true of Christ can be true of you if you put your life and trust in him. Can we trust Jesus even in death? The answer, I believe, is yes. Because this is why. Resurrection and life. Get this. This is on your worship guide. It's not just who Jesus is. It's what Jesus gives. Jesus looks at Martha and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Not just now and then. Look to me. You may not see the whole picture while you wait, but you can see me. You may not be able to see clearly through tears, but would you try to see me present in it? You may not see what the other side of death looks like, but can you trust me? There's an old parable that uh, I found on Amy's grandmother's Facebook page. We found it after she had passed. And I did her funeral and I was able to share this story. It's a cute little story of Facebook, but it was so powerful for us because of the context in which we read it. We read it after she had died. And the story goes like this. A man is in the doctor's office and there's this door here on the other side. Knock on the door. You guys know this. Hey, can I come in? Doctor comes in, closes the door behind him. So he's sitting there talking with his doctor, and all of a sudden, as they're discussing his case, his prognosis, doing all the things the doctor does, he hears scratching on the other side of the closed door. And he hears this pawing and this yipping and this barking, and the guy's like, what kind of doctor's office is this? And the guy is saying, what is that on the other side of the door? Of course, you know what it is, right? It's his dog. It's the doctor's dog. 
And so the patient is looking at him, he's like, how does the dog know you're here? The door's closed, we've been in here for some time. He says, he may not know what's on the other side of the door, but he knows me. He knows my voice. It's a cute little parable that you'd find on Facebook, but in the context of a woman we loved, after waiting, after weeping, and after experiencing death, there's something to that that I hear, I am the resurrection and the life. I may not know what tomorrow holds. I may not know what next year holds. I may not know how I will go and when, but I can know the resurrection and the life. And you can too. You may remember that in John, he records how many miracles. All the other gospels, it's like miracle palooza. Jesus heals a blind man. Jesus does this. Jesus does that. How many signs are in the gospel of John? We've been talking about this for six weeks. This is the seventh. Please don't break your pastor's heart. The answer is, ready? Seven. These seven signs lead us down the road so that we might see and believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And we might find life in his name. That's what John tells us in John chapter 20. After the Easter story, after the Lazarus story. So this is the seventh sign pointing to Jesus. Pointing to the last sign. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. It's all pointing to me. It's what I give. He says to Martha that if you believe, even though you die, you will live. So what happens in the end of the story is he goes to the tomb. He says, roll away the stone. And they say, dude, it's going to stink. And he says, roll it away. And then he prays out loud so that everybody can hear, God, you heard me. I want them to know that you're in the mix, that you're in this. And after he prays, he says, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man shimmies out, wrapped in cloths. So they say, untie him and let him go. Lazarus is raised to life and many saw and believed. But Lazarus went on to lead an ordinary human life. He will die again. And it's the straw that broke the camel's back when all these people said, that's it, that's far enough. We've seen these seven signs. This is too much. He raised Lazarus. What's he going to do next? We're going to kill him. And a matter of weeks later, Jesus is crucified. But these seven signs, this ordinary life that Lazarus returns to, becomes an extraordinary sign that we can see and believe. Jesus shows us on Easter that God can be trusted in the waiting from Friday's death to Sunday's life. Amen? Jesus can be trusted in weeping that turns to wonder, shock, and the breathless announcement that He is not here, He has gone ahead of you, He is risen. Amen? Jesus can be trusted in death when Sunday dawns and puts the world on notice that God gets the last word, not sin, death, and darkness. So Easter Sunday, John 20, I'll close by asking you. They saw and believed. Will we? Will we trust Jesus? It's more than a broken egg and yolk at stake. It's our very life 
and light to transform us and to transform our world. Because Easter is dawned and we can trust Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the victory of the cross, sealed by the victory of the empty tomb. We are grateful that sin, death, and evil no longer has mastery over the world. Lord, we pray that we in our world, like Lazarus, can be removed from the shackles of grave clothes so that we might learn to live and walk freely with you. I pray for those here who have not seen and believed that they would see something that they would be drawn more and more into life. That they would say yes to you because you've already said yes to us. You've extended your arms of love. You've reconciled the world to yourself. You're just waiting for us to come back to you. So we pray, Lord, that we would take that step. Whether it's the first step or the one millionth step, would today be a day that we take a step out of death and into life? We trust that you will show us the way even when we can't see it, even through tears, and even beyond death. We praise you and we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.